Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. While you're turning there, I'd like to introduce you to my lawnmower. That's right, my lawnmower. It's a wonderful machine. It it uh, sits there, and it's got a black handle that comes out on either side and over so that I can hold it when I mow my lawn. It's a beautiful lawnmower, and it's got this fantastic handle. It kind of bolts in on either side, and it comes up, and it's made of metal, I think, and comes across as a little chipped and worn where I've held it, but there's not really a grip there on the handle, but I do hold that handle while I push and mow the lawn. It's a nice, nice lawnmower. You can see that as I describe it to you, and that's my description for this morning, you can come to my house and actually see it if you'd like, that what I've done is simply emphatically tell you about one aspect of my lawnmower, the handle. What I've done is again and again, a few times here, just describe the lawnmower in terms of the handle that I hold, but I've absolutely skipped some of the most critical pieces of the lawnmower, namely the engine, the thing that makes the blade spin. In fact, the blade itself, what's doing the cutting of the grass? You have no idea. I fear our Christian lives can be this way. I fear that we can take the truth of this scripture and we can sometimes take little pieces at a time and give them emphasis and talk about them over and over and miss the actual critical piece of the Christian life. We can miss the emphasis of this Bible. It's very important for us as we go through exposition and we go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, that we see the actual emphasis that God places on his message and not simply take favorite pieces. It's incredibly important, therefore, that we know that we are coming to a very emphatic, important section of Scripture this morning. It's Romans chapter 8. It's been called by some commentators the inner sanctuary of the cathedral of Christianity. It's been called the tree of life in the midst of the Garden of Eden. It's an absolutely fantastic and central, emphatic core to daily Christian living. I invite you in this morning to see it. I had a, I got the fortune to, in Providence to go to a university on the East Coast and they had a very large cathedral that they built. It was a massive thing, but you would come in and immediately when you entered, you'd almost feel a blanket of peace and warmth and quiet still. And then as you walk forward, you'd almost hear your feet click as they walked forward down towards the front where that inner sanctuary was. And the stillness, if anything, just got bigger, heavier, more pronounced. That's where we're headed this morning. That's where we're headed. And it's about this. It's about the spirit of life that sets you free in daily living for eternal life. Let's take a look in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, 
For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We could almost stop with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we want to see as we start, how are we truly free believing this principle of the Spirit of life? You know, we've been walking through Romans, and we've seen as we walk how sinful we are on our own. We've seen that none, no, not one, is worthy. We've seen there in Romans chapter 3 how God yet provided a way. Jesus Christ, who died for the ungodly, who died for the sinful, for you and me, so that we are justified. Justified means declared righteous, not just, just as if you've never sinned, but also just as if you'd always obeyed. And yet, when we hit chapter 6, we saw that we actually are dead in our sin and in our flesh and alive to God, dead to the law, alive to God. And there in chapter 7, verse 6, Paul wrote this, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. That's how we serve, Paul wrote just last chapter, in this new life of the Spirit. Then he went on to say how the law was so good, and we still, even the human experience before and after the start of the Christian life, continue to fall into sin. I do what I hate, Paul said there in the end of chapter 7. I, I, who will save me from this body of sin and death that keeps on sinning? And so he ended last week we saw in chapter 7 the end there wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind but with my flesh I serve the law of sin and if you look at yourself this morning and say you know I see my life and I continue to sin and you start to take in condemnation for that because you you hold up your life compared to the law and you start saying I see that I am not making it and we start to take in condemnation and this is exactly the wrong thing to think so we enter today this cathedral where it says first there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, very specific phrase that means you've been united to Christ, you put your faith in him, you believe in him for your righteousness. He is your only hope and you're there and you stand there and then there is no condemnation for you even if you sin. Wow. That's an amazing thing. I have, I have to understand it. I don't understand why that is. That now, if I sin, there's still no condemnation for me ever. Well, here's why. I'm glad Paul kept writing in verse 2. He says this. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life 
has set you free in Christ Jesus, verse 2, from the law of sin and death. This is why there's no condemnation for you. Because the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So you start thinking, okay, well, I'm under two laws. I was under this law over here. Maybe it's the Mosaic law, this law of sin and death. But now I've been transferred to the law of the spirit. Is that right? I'm under a new law. No, that's not quite right. Law here is principle. Principle. There's an underlying principle at work. Here's one principle. The law, the principle of sin and death. If you sin, you die. Romans chapter 6 bore that out for us. Romans chapter 5, we saw the first Adam. We saw that death even was given to us because we sin, and, and our sin brings about our death. If you don't match up to God's perfectness, you die. Well, and, and therefore, we still, I see sin in my flesh now, and it takes very little time with me to see that I'm a sinner. And so you would say, okay, Dax, you are under condemnation. But no, you see, there's a new principle. This is why we're calling our message the spirit of life this morning. This new principle is that the spirit of life is in you. The spirit of life set you free in Christ Jesus. If you are in Jesus, you've been transferred from this realm where sin brings condemnation and death to this realm where the spirit of life sets you free. How did that happen? There's much explaining to do. Yes, there is. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, he explains for us, and this is review for us in many ways, because we've seen, right? We've seen what God has done as we walked through Romans. The law is noble, high, beautiful, Awesome. And yet we in our flesh couldn't keep it. See, the law couldn't do anything because our flesh was weak, even though we tried. So what God did was send his own son, Jesus Christ, in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came as a human being. He grew as a boy to manhood, developed and likeness, though he wasn't sinful. He actually came for sin, yours and mine. And therefore God condemned sin in the flesh. What does that mean? It means he killed his son for our sin, condemning it on the cross. Wrath poured out on sin. That's condemnation. Jesus Christ actually died. In order that, verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. So the law says, yes, paid for. Not just for Jesus, but there in verse 4 it says, for us. Because we're associated with Jesus Christ and bound together with him, united. This is amazing. This is a very deep statement and perhaps it's easy for us to talk through it and to think about it and to miss how wondrous it is that you right now, not just at conversion, you're not converted in order that you might be perfect in your flesh 
But actually, even after you're a Christian, there's no condemnation for you with sin. It's hard for us to grasp how deep this is. So let me bring an example forward for you. Let's bring up a man named Ted Haggard. Maybe you've heard of him. He was a mega church pastor, a pastor of a very large church, I believe in Colorado. And yet, while he was pastoring and leading that church, he was secretly sinning. He was deceiving his flock, his body. And he was going and doing drugs and engaging in immorality. And it came to light. In fact, the authorities, the police, the world was involved. He lost his church, rightly so. And we recoil in the horror of that. And if I brought him up here today and said, okay, who will take him out to lunch after service? I wonder how many of you would come up to your Christian brother, give him a hug and say, hey, I would, come on over. Now, what you might say is, well, I'm not sure he's a believer and he's done these horrible things and hurt the cause of Christ. We have nothing to do with him. We condemn him for that. Well, what if I also told you that he repented? That he said, oh, that was evil. I know it was evil. I repent of it. I turn from it. I just want to serve my Savior. And here I am now. I have that in my past. It's recent past even, but I've turned from that. What about then? Maybe some of you would be like, oh, yes, yes, no problem. Come on over. But some of you would still be recoiling at the horror. Don't want to be associated with that now. People see this man and he thinks, and they think, how wrong it is and what a horror that he's done to the cause of Christ, we won't be around him. And if you think that way, you need Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Right? This is our brother. Maybe you've been caught in sin. Maybe you've been hiding it away. And because you feel guilty, you feel condemned. You think that there's something there that disqualifies you. No, it doesn't. Not if you're in Jesus Christ. Not if your faith is in him. You can come forward and in fact, this is the gospel that you yourself are open to say, I sinned, but Jesus. And I'm under now this law of the spirit of life. We haven't seen exactly how it works, but we see that there's something going on that we've been transferred from being in our sin to being away from our sin in the spirit of law, the the spirit of life that has set us free from the law of sin and death. Now, you might say this sounds too good to be true. On the one hand, it makes sense, right? I put a quote in there from Thomas Brooks. It says, saving grace. This is the idea that you've been saved by grace alone, by Jesus Christ alone, his righteousness. Saving grace makes a man willing to leave his lusts, as willing as a slave is to leave his galley, or a prisoner his dungeon, or a thief his bolts, or a beggar his rags. Lust, you know, lust is not talking about immorality, about sexuality. It's talking about things we crave for us. The flesh. Oh, I'm so excited that now I'm in the spirit. But you read the end of verse 4 and you might think, 
No, no, there's got to be a catch somewhere. Where is it? This is all about what's being done for me. So in verse 4 says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There it is. You must walk in the Spirit. You'll only have life if you walk in the Spirit. You must walk in the Spirit or you will die. And then they fold out some things, what it means to walk in the Spirit, and therefore you must do these things. And when you don't do them, you're back in condemnation again. Don't buy into that. As soon as you go there, you're losing this wondrous sanctuary we've come into where there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those of us who who have been set free by the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life, from the law of sin and death. This is a wondrous thing. Let's see how it describes it. How do we live daily life? Verse 5, walking according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, emphasizes particularly walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit, which we'll hit in the next little chunk. But don't miss this. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. This is a descriptive term, not a prescriptive term. You see the difference? Prescriptive means make sure you do this or else. Here's what you need to do. I'm going to have a prescription for you. You want to lose weight. Here's your prescription. You eat smaller meals and you run and exercise more. Versus a description. This is what a Christian is. I just want to describe to you the Christian. They have the Holy Spirit in them. They walk according to the Spirit. So this is actually descriptive phrases for us to understand what it is that's being done in us, what it is to mean that we have the Holy Spirit. Is that really true, by the way? Can that be true as we say, oh, here it is, you're walking according to the Spirit. Walking according to the Spirit, what does that mean, according to the Spirit? It means that you actually have the Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit, right? This is what it means. In John 14, verse 16, listen to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. And I, this is Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Then Jesus says in verse 18 of John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Do you see that he means the Holy Spirit? Do you see what he's actually saying is the Holy Spirit will dwell with you and will actually be in you? 
There's something that happened when you became a Christian. There's something that happened when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You got this thing called the Holy Spirit inside you. This is our life. This is the inner sanctuary of the Christian life. You've got the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is so opposed to me. And what's being contrasted here particularly is opposed to the flesh. As opposed to me striving hard to try and please God on my own, in my power to prove to him that I'm worthy, even after I become a Christian, I can slip back into this thinking, it's the world's economy. The world's economy is centered on the flesh. Self-improvement, self That's what the flesh is, right? It reflects the Greek word ego, I, the ego. I want to build myself up. I want to increase. I want you to both like me and respect me. I want money and fame and two and a half kids and a wonderful spouse. I want to be taken care of. I, I want to be seen as valuable. I, I want to, and I, I, I as in all of that. And we see ourselves start to grow and it works in Christianity too, but this is the world. This is what we're fighting against. It is right that the world works this way. What do I mean? I mean, if you want to be a good worker, what do you do? If you want to be a good worker, what do you do? I'll give you some counsel. It's wisdom. Go into work early. Work diligently and hard. Leave late. Show your boss, your employer, what a valuable worker you are by your diligent effort. If you want to be a good basketball player, I know it relies on if you're really tall or not somewhat. It relies on natural talent. But you can improve yourself. If you want to be a good free throw shooter, we saw this last week, you take a free throw and you just do it over and over and over. You'll miss a few. You'll miss a lot. But if you take 10 million shots, you will get better. This is the world's economy. It's the way the world works. It's about self-effort. It's about diligent and hard work. Diligence, right? You doing it. This is, this is the world's economy. We're going to see later on in, in Romans, in this chapter, how the creation is subject to futility because it doesn't work in a certain realm, in God's realm. God's economy is different. It's about whether or not you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. So the work of my life in getting away from the flesh is to get my eyes off of me. You need to get your eyes off of what other people think of you. You need to get your eyes off of what other people say you should do. And onto the things of the Spirit. Things of the Spirit. What's happening with the Spirit? Here's what's happening. It's testifying to you always that you are saved outside of yourself. It's testifying to you always that righteousness was given to you in in the name of Jesus Christ. That you've been united to somebody else outside of you and that is your only hope of salvation forever. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that it doesn't say, okay, you have the Spirit, now go and transform yourself into something better. No, see that? It's it's passive. You are being transformed. Somebody's working on you to transform you. Where is this from? It's from the Lord, who is the Spirit. These are dangerous words to some of us. You might say today, but Dax, I have to work too. (laughs) Amen. You will work. You will work. But, but this is the deal. You, you don't in your own heart have the ability to change your desires. You don't in your own heart have the ability to change your heart. I can spiffy myself up and put on a nice shirt and put on a tie and a coat and make myself look pretty, but I can't change the inside. But somebody else can. It's the Holy Spirit. And so the work of our life is to trust that and to not continually feed our own flesh in trying to build ourselves up, right? This is an important way of thinking that is so critical to the Christian life. Work on thinking, keeping your thinking straight about the gospel, keeping yourself out. It's a great season for that because it's the Christmas season here. Christmas season hurts a lot of folks. Maybe you wish you had a family that you don't have, so it's a lonely season for you and you can get into self-pity. I wish I had what those other folks had, a nice family. Maybe you're a parent and you'd love to see your adult children come over, but they've chosen to, to have Christmas on their own this year and you get hurt. After all you've done for them, Maybe they don't even love you, you start thinking. Maybe you're a, a, a young family and you, you really buy into just getting to lots of stuff for people. That's what you try and do. So I think stuff is where it's at. So you just get lots of stuff all around and put your value in that. See, all of those thinkings, all of those ways pull you away from the gospel, pull you away from the spirit of life and and the reality that you're loved completely by God and taken care of and into this thing where myself is primary. Walk by the Spirit means you actually realize you have the indwelling spirit. It's important to me that you see as we go through this, if you set your mind on the flesh, it says, you live according to the flesh, you cannot, you cannot please God. You can't even submit to God's law. It's too high. To set the mind on the flesh is death. So so the Christian isn't there. You've humbled yourself. You've actually said, no, my only hope is in Jesus Christ. You have the indwelling spirit, and it's working on you and in you to, to mature you and bear fruit in you. That's what we desire. But we're focused on the fact that it's not our fruit. Galatians 5.22, right? It's the fruit of the spirit. is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. These things that are the fruit of The Spirit, not the fruit of Dax, 
Not the fruit of you, the fruit of the Spirit. So when we say, and we say that here we are, we're going to walk by the Spirit, it's not saying keep some list of rules in order that you might walk by the Spirit. If that's what it was doing, it would be essentially he would be saying a circular argument, and that's not what he's doing. What do I mean? Well, if the idea was walking by the Spirit was a command to you to try very hard to get yourself in the law, which, by the way, the Romans has already said we're not under, but, but if you're thinking that wrongly, then essentially what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to try and be patient because I know that I, I it's a command. I'm going to be patient so that I might walk by the Spirit. That's exactly backwards. In that thinking realm, what you're doing is this. I'm going to be patient in order that I might walk by the the Spirit. And therefore, Galatians 5.22, bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience. Be patient in order that I might walk by the Spirit, in order that I might bear the fruit of patience that's not mine. I, I, I just made the fruit of the Spirit into my fruit. And it's a circular thing. Be patient in order that you might bear patience. That can't be right. And indeed, it's it's not right. The fruit that we bear is the Spirit's fruit. Our workers continue to believe that the Spirit is both in us and working on us. To desire to bear much fruit, to work hard, no problem, but it's not our fruit, it's the Spirit's fruit. And in fact, the fruit... The Spirit and the flesh are in opposition. Galatians 5.16 says that. Walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, flesh there is not talking about sexual immorality. It's talking about lust for you. You increasing yourself. You being higher. Life being about you. Instead of you, (laughs) an eternity is ahead of us. Living for the Spirit. By it, in it, through it. This is daily living. Sinclair Ferguson has a nice quote. I put it there. Only the Holy Spirit is equal to the task of sanctification in us. We are commanded, indeed responsible, to put on and act out Christ-like character. But these are fruits of the Spirit. That means they work themselves out in us as the Spirit unites us to Christ, not through sheer willpower or exertion. This is a humbling thing, and it's an emphatic center of the Christian life. Daily living is going to look this way. Not just daily living, though. <laughs> we are kept by the power of God. Look at the third point here. Our, how are we assured eternal life? Verse 9. Trusting an indwelling spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. It's amazing. Amazing. Don't let the words wash over you. This is incredible. We are in the Spirit. Again, descriptive, not you go get filled by the Spirit. This is you have the Spirit. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. This is what you need to believe. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. See how 
how he ties this together. Look closely. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Okay, you need to have the, the Spirit in you. If you don't have this Spirit of Christ, then you're not saved. But if Christ is in you, verse 10, although the body's dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Wow! The Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ, is actually in verse 10 equated to Christ. If Christ is in you, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, they're not the same, and yet they're so close to Christ himself. There's a wondrous thing happening. It deserves to be quiet. The Spirit of life indwells the believer. That's you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come. He is your guarantee. He is your seal. The Spirit is life, it says, because of righteousness. That's not your righteousness. That's Jesus Christ's righteousness, right? The Spirit of Christ is in you. His righteousness in you forever. Stop making life about your righteousness. It's about the righteousness given because the spirit of life is in you, the spirit of Jesus Christ. Our only hope. How is this done? It's not just that he gives you life for daily living. Look, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, verse 11, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Your body's aim for death, it's flesh, but the spirit will raise it again. Life with Jesus. This is incredible power. See it in another place. Come with me to Ephesians just for a moment. We'll be fast. But look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, I heard it. Oh, the gospel of my salvation. We put our trust in Jesus. We repented of our sin. We, we said, yes, Lord, you are king. And we believed in him. We at that time, see, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He's the guarantee. The center of the Christian life is I have the Holy Spirit in me. He's the seal and the guarantee of what's going to happen to me surely in eternity. How is that going to happen? Well, it didn't happen by making my body not sin anymore. I'm not surprised that I continue to sin. You shouldn't be either, right? He says, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit actually, Jesus died and then he rose. That power that rose, raised him from the dead, that power will be exercised on you by the Holy Spirit. What he says, here's Paul in Ephesians, just very briefly in verse 19. He's talking about, he says, oh, he wants to give thanks that they might understand. So I'm praying for you that you might understand how deep and awesome this is. And so he says there in Ephesians 1.19 that you might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, God's power, towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. 
See, just as the Spirit raised Christ, Romans is telling us the Spirit will raise you. And look at what happened with Jesus. It says, what's the immeasurable greatness? That's mega. The mega power of God. The greatness of his power, that's dynamite power. Dunamis. It's not dynamite specifically, but it's that flavor. The power, just raw explosiveness of God. The greatness of it, the mega-ness of it. And then it keeps going according to the working. That's erga. That's the actual energy power of God. The working of his great might. That's, that's the strength. That's a strength word. So the working of his mighty strength. It's like he uses four words there for power. And the four words are because he can't get enough of how strong and sure and certain and awesome this fount of power is that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that wouldn't let him stay in the grave. And that power in Romans is the power that will raise you and I. Not my power, but the Spirit's. Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see that this opens our eyes to see, I'm not going to try and put on a mask. I'm not going to try and earn salvation and merit and pleasure from God on my own. What I'm going to do is to trust in the Spirit. What I'm going to do is to show you I am a sinner. My only hope is the Spirit. I'm not trying over here to make you want to like me more for me. This is why the very first command in Ephesians, after three chapters, how awesome the work of Christ has been and the work of the Spirit has been, that in chapter 4 he says, Oh, my first walk in unity. Walk in unity, us, together. Why? Because we're not trying to make each other lower so we can be higher. But more importantly, because each of us, all of us together, who love Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, each of us. Us. Plural. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So we ourselves are together. Knowing that our only hope is the wondrous Spirit. That's what we've been talking about today. This initial foray. We have more in chapter 8. This initial foray into the inner sanctuary of the cathedral of the Christian life. It pushes us towards gratitude and humility. We've looked today, not at the handle. Don't go back to the handle. It's about me pushing. No, you're emphasizing the wrong thing. It's about the engine. It's about the blade. You can look at the handle, but don't miss the emphasis. Hebrews 9.14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Even Jesus' sacrifice through the Holy Spirit, the eternal spirit. Oh, worship today. Let's pray.